Back to the Lab with your host, Brad Bolts. Welcome back to the Lab. Back to the Lab. Welcome back to the Lab. Back to the Lab. Welcome back to another episode of the NFL Lab Network, and I am joined by a very special guest today. Uh, he is the NFL insider on ESPN, co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, and co-host of the First Draft Podcast with Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, and also one of my favorite TV people and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, Field Yates. Field, thanks for coming on, and how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks to be on with you. I was going to say good morning, uh, but you and I obviously are on about as far apart time zones as you could possibly be in uh, on this great planet. So good evening to you. Actually, it's it's not even evening. It's like almost midnight where you are, almost 11 p.m. So uh, good night to you. Good morning to those that are on the East Coast that may be listening to this in the morning wherever they are. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is almost good morning as well for me soon if we... Uh... If we're here, if we uh, do if a we marathon podcast, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I've just, uh, well, firstly, I'm going to say thank you for um, taking the time to come on. There's uh, course, many, many uh, fans of uh, NFL now are growing in Australia, and a lot of people, when I spoke to them, were um, what were saying, you know, you would be an ideal person that they would all love to be able to talk to so i've tried to i'm trying to carry the flag for for the rest of the australian fans here so um i'm jealous I was by the just way i'm jealous s- i've never been to australia it's a it's a dream destination to visit one day um it, i'm not sure if it's in the cards imminently with a, a young child and another young child about to arrive into this world but uh that's on the bucket list i don't have a long bucket list uh, <laughs> because i hope that uh I have a lot of time left to accomplish some of the things that would be goals, but one of them would be to visit Australia because uh, just the most beautiful place on earth, at least based off every single photo that I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it, we, are, we are pretty lucky here. I must admit, I haven't, yeah. uh, haven't found too many bad places in Australia to, to go and uh, go for a trip down to the beach or something like that. It's, it's always yeah. quite nice, but um I thought I would I would start off with just something uh, nice and easy for you today. Um, what's been your favorite storyline of the offseason so far? Who? Not Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, uh, <laughs> because that hasn't happened yet. Um, so there really hasn't. I, th- I actually think the story of the offseason is the moves that haven't been made so far. Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, if someone listens to this a few days after we have this conversation and these things take place between now and then, I'm apologizing. At the time of our conversation, Aaron Rodgers remains a Green Bay Packer. Lamar Jackson remains a Baltimore Raven, although he has not yet signed his franchise tag tender. DeAndre Hopkins remains an Arizona Cardinal. Both Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton remain Denver Broncos. So in some ways, it feels like the biggest story has been the things that haven't happened this offseason. But my favorite storyline that has taken place has been how the NFL draft has taken shape with quarterbacks at the very top. 
a year after we had a draft that was historically bad for quarterback prospects, just one in the first round, that being Kenny Pickett, and obviously really nobody else of consequence um, going until much later in the draft. Uh, beyond that, we have four guys that I think everybody who's evaluating the draft feels really pretty good about uh, in some order, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, and Will Levis, uh, and how we've seen the movement. We have already seen the Carolina Panthers make a big jump from nine to one. We have heard of other teams that might be motivated to move up, whether it's a team like Indianapolis from four to three, or maybe it's a team like Tennessee from 11 to three to get ahead of their division rival, the Indianapolis Colts. So I do see a lot of quarterback movement forthcoming during the draft. And that to me has been one of my favorite storylines is having some punch to this quarterback class after a weak quarterback class a year ago. So you mentioned the, the quarterbacks and obviously with doing the first draft podcast with Mel and Todd, you've obviously died. Uh, you've delved into some of the uh, prospects and things like that. So in your mind, do you have a set ranking of the prospects you like in what order? And if you were, if you were Scott Fitterer, what would your pick be at, at number one? So probably like three years ago, if you had asked me this question, I would have delivered an order one, two, three, four. And it's not that I'm not capable of doing so, or not that I'm not willing to do so. I think if I had to pick an order, it would be this. It would be Bryce Young one, CJ Stroud two, and then Anthony Richardson slash Will Levis tied at three. It's kind of a take your pick there. But I actually think that what's more important in the discourse now is actually it's not how do you rank them on average? It's how each player fits, given what each team wants to accomplish. Because we have seen quarterbacks that have landed in certain spots where they have thrived, that I'm not so sure if they had been elsewhere, they would have thrived. Conversely, we have seen quarterbacks who have gone somewhere and have failed, and then have gone elsewhere and succeeded after prior failures. I think it's a good reminder that infrastructure around quarterbacks, and that's coaching infrastructure, it's front office infrastructure, it's certainly roster infrastructure, patience, uh, the willingness to let the young quarterbacks fail before they succeed. All of that's very important. I'll use a good example from last year. Not a first-round pick, but I don't think that if Brock Purdy was dropped in New Orleans to fix the Saints quarterback problems last year, he would have looked anything like he did in San Francisco Whereas with the 49ers, he became a near savior for their season as they went all the way to the NFC Championship game before he himself got hurt. So it's a bit of a tangent there, but I think it's really important when we're evaluating the NFL draft and these quarterback prospects to not just rank them in a vacuum, but instead to apply some context and nuance to how they are ranked based off which team you are trying to fit them to. Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, that might you we you spoke briefly about previous year's quarterback class now the the other question is too would he would a player like a, a Malik Willis would have he had a different well, I mean it's only been a season but would his uh, the way that we think of him would that be different if he was picked at 20 by the Steelers last year instead of Kenny Pickett yeah. you know or trickle down you know if he had a chance to start last year and play half the season for the Atlanta Falcons say for instance like would that uh that have changed their perceptions so I, so I do agree with you that um having the right infrastructure and I guess too it's like um a cross sport analogy but you know a lot of people in the NBA draft they want to go in the lottery they want to go the top 10 picks and everything but at the end of the day the last few years you know you get drafted at 29 well, you're playing with the Golden State Warriors 
you've got a chance to win and be successful because of the that infrastructure there. So I do I do like your um, analogy there that it is based upon what's there, and that's why I mean I am a little bit biased as you can see from my shirt. I've got my of course yeah, keep shirt on there, uh, but I, I, I like the infrastructure that Carolina has because they they built last year by drafting Iki Aquanu at six and. Mm -hmm signing Austin Corbett and, you know, Bradley Bozeman was a really big pickup and another re-signing. So of those quarterbacks, what if, if we count out Carolina, what next team where you think that they've actually got that infrastructure that they're building or that you could see within the next 12 months, two years, that you could have that that foundation for them to succeed? Okay, so what team can be the next Panthers, you're saying, where they are right now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So by the way, we got I gotta ask your opinion of the very, very slightly adjusted color scheme for the Panthers for those that may have missed it. It actually <laughs> happened just before uh, we started chatting. They announced they have a teeny tiny difference in their jersey colors, specifically of their blues, uh going forward. To be honest with you, if you had not told me, I wouldn't have noticed a difference. But for those that are jersey geeks like me, uh, kind of <laughs> cool. Um all right, so you're talking about a team. In the next 12 months, which probably means a team that right now doesn't have a young quarterback on the roster and maybe doesn't project to grab a young quarterback in this year's draft, who over the next 12 months could end up having the right pieces in place to set up for a young quarterback. It's a good question. It's a fair question. I think that, and this is hard because um, they don't believe right now that they need a young quarterback, but the Falcons... If they don't see progress from Desmond Ritter this year, enough to believe he is the guy going forward, they are one of the teams that seems like the most obvious next Carolina Panthers situation because in recent years, they have attacked the offensive line and also the wide receiver slash tight end room, specifically with Kyle Pitts and Drake London. But a year from now, if, if it's not Desmond Ritter, you could have a world in which you've got a good offensive line, a capable offensive line. You've got the highest paid guard ever in Chris Lidstrom and two good tackles. You've got pieces in place. You could have Drake London. You could have Kyle Pitts. You could have whoever this team takes at number eight overall this season. That could be a team that would make some sense as the next rock solid situation for a young quarterback and there are going to be some good quarterbacks in next year's draft the two best ones are Caleb Williams from USC and Drake May who goes to UNC which is actually actually happens to be where Arthur Smith the Falcons head coach went um so maybe you can make that connection there you go you got your you got your uh, your Tar Heels gear. I've got my Carolina gear I've got it here so anyways that will be one that comes to mind for me uh but other than that it's hard to forecast because a lot of teams either already have their quarterback option or are preparing to make their quarterback plan this year, whether it's the Panthers, Colts, uh, Texans, and then whoever ends up being that team that takes the fourth quarterback. And I think too, there's no, this time last year, no one would have thought that the Seattle Seahawks were going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I think and they, they like. I mean, it is still a little bit early, but they absolutely crushed that draft last year with their two tackles, being able to get Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant, who I don't, I don't mind. I liked him um, coming out. Like you know, picking up these solid pieces. 
can can Walker as well, like picking up these guys to improve a team. So they they made a massive jump last season. The Jags made a massive jump last season. Is there a team that you've seen in their off-season moves so far that could make that type of leap? Well, not not necessarily saying they're going to be a playoff team, but a team that could potentially have gone from a you know a, a four-win team to a pushing to the playoffs sort of sort yeah. of yeah. Yeah, there is a team that I, I guarantee you a lot of people are going to be making the same argument. So I'm not trying to sit here and suggest I am the first or the only person that's thought of this. But it's the Bears for so many obvious reasons. First of all, the reality, when you have the fewest wins or tied for the fewest wins in the NFL, you have the most room for growth, right? So it's hard to go from 10 to 14 wins because your margin for error is pretty slim. It's easier to go from three to eight wins because you're still going to have a losing record. You don't have to be a great team to go from three to eight wins. But I think the Chicago Bears can push for a winning record this season. Let's just run through all the various factors that contribute to that. First of all, they have already made one of the biggest and best moves of the offseason, which is in terms of pure talent, one of the best players to change teams this offseason was, sorry to say it, DJ Moore, your former <laughs> Carolina Panther wide receiver, who's now with the Bears. Beyond that, the Bears attack free agency very aggressively. Tremaine Edmonds and also, <clears throat> excuse me, Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards on defense. And then on offense, Nate Davis, amongst several pieces they added in free agency. So they've already beefed up their roster because of the cap space they had available to them and the trade they made, which, by the way, could be turned into multiple more picks. They still, though, as of right now, have a top 10 selection, which should fill a pretty significant gap on this roster. All the suggestions are that the Bears roster is on paper so much better compared to where it was a year ago, separate and apart from the fact that Justin Fields, it's going to be a better player, right? He is going to be a better player in year three than he was in year two. More development, more understanding of the system, a broader skill set, and better pieces around him. Then the division. This division right now is a question mark. The Packers, as of now, still have Aaron Rodgers, but while the Packers have enough confidence in Jordan Love that they're comfortable making this Aaron Rodgers trade whenever it gets done, how does anybody, anybody know, even the Packers, know what kind of player Jordan Love is truly going to become? That is not to say that he can't become a great player, but until you've seen it, there is an element of uncertainty surrounding what he will eventually be in the NFL. The Minnesota Vikings are a team that brings back a decent amount of what they did last year, but and I don't want to enrage Vikings fans. They've already heard this enough. But if you go back and track statistics that are sticky year over year over year, and then you go to the opposite end of the spectrum, win-loss record in one-score games is not sticky. It is not something that tends to sustain year over year over year. You tend to get lucky or unlucky. You tend to, on average, though, kind of have an average record in one-score games. So many things contribute to one-score games. The Vikings won almost every one-score game they were in last season. They found a way to get by by the skin of their teeth. They have a ton of talent. And Kevin O'Connell did a tremendous job in year one. It's just hard to win one-score games repeatedly like they did last season. That's a team that could take a step back, separate and apart from some of the defections they've had on both sides of the ball this offseason. The Lions are on the rise. But that division feels more open. So the Bears are the team that, to me, seems the most likely to take a big step forward this offseason. And I think, too, when you when you look at the the Bears, they've had 
the last couple of seasons, they've had a, a deficiency in talent comparative to other teams going around. Like when you were saying, you know, you're, the, I mean, I asked a couple of, um, couple of my Australian mates, can you name three starters on the Bears offensive line? And no one could say any of them. So yeah. like, you know, like that, I, I mean, you know, I've got a couple who are real draft, um, geeks like myself you know so you could name name the guys but like you said bringing in the nate davis but like thinking too if they've got the ninth pick and as you said they could trade i think they've got four in the four picks in the first 61 i believe that's correct. Or something, yeah, that sounds something right. like that but you, you know if there's three tackles that they might like you know obviously it's this is one of those drafts where not every position has the consensus overall number one player yep. so you know if you've got one of these three guard like you know offensive linemen and you're looking for a right tackle that nine is a good spot for them to go okay we've got these three there's you know someone the the commanders are wanting to trade up from 15 16 to 9 we can move back and pick up some more capital and bulk up this roster with as much young talent as we can get and see what you can do to protect Justin Fields, who I really like coming out of college. I actually thought him and Trevor should have been the, was the discussion for the two best quarterbacks in that class. So um, speaking of the quarterbacks, there was one question that I had, I was listening to a different podcast with, uh, Ben Solak from The Ringer, and he had a, I guess you could call it a hot take. He said that if he was the Panthers uh, GM, he would be taking Anthony Richardson one. What would you, if that happens on draft day, what would your reaction be? I'd be stunned. Um, I understand Ben's line of thinking, and I've, I've heard this quite a bit from a lot of people. Um, it's just from a developmental upside standpoint, there is a pretty compelling case that Anthony Richardson has the most unique skill set of any player in this draft class. I mean, just pure, like just the, the raw measurables are different. I mean, he's six foot four, 244 pounds and ran a four, four, six, 40. Like that kind of pure athleticism at the quarterback spot, you're talking about a list of like five guys ever that have brought that to the table. I mean, it's, it's Cam Newton type athletic ability. And I don't have to explain to you just how incredible Cam was, especially at his peak. Uh, you multiply that by the fact that he's so young and has a cannon arm. And there are some traits you really, really like. Um, this is a tricky one though, because it is going to be a developmental process. It's going to take some time. It's going to require some patience and he has 13 starts. I, I can, I, I understand all the reasons why people are super excited about Anthony Richardson's long-term outlook. I also know a lot of fans at the college football level that watched Florida every week this year and are absolutely mystified by the idea that he'd go number one overall, or even in the first round, because it was not a good year this past year by first round quarterback draft prospect standards. I know the number has been, it's probably been said so much. We should all just have a tattoo of it by now, but 52.9% completion percentage for Anthony Richardson. You know, there were some games and it was just like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe he did that again, again, and again. Um, it's an upside projection though. I tend to think that 
the highest floor player out of all the quarterbacks is still Bryce Young. And the highest ceiling might be Bryce Young, but it also might be Anthony Richardson. So um, I understand Ben, who's obviously tremendous at his job, and others who feel that way, why they feel that way. My guess, though, is that the Panthers will not do that. And it'll end up being Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, with my presumption right now being that it will be Bryce Young. Yes, um, I guess it's one of those one of those things that if if your job wasn't on the line, a, a pick like Richardson, who many are saying has the highest ceiling, you know that that could be one of those things. As you said, with all the measurables being so off the charts, that it would be tempting to take someone like him. But this also this draft is, just seems like a, a weird sort of uh, draft in the sense there's so many outliers in this class like the, every receiver is small every you know every um tight end is seems like is super athletic like more so than previous years Kalijah Kansi is the short what I heard someone describe him as the fastest T-Rex going around as a defensive lineman because he's so <laughs> so quick but the shortest arm so yeah what do you what do you make of that? And even guys like um, Nolan Smith, who is one of the lightest edge rushers that's come to the combine. So how does how's this draft? Why is it so different in comparison to other years? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the things that we are seeing over the past few years, and I think that uh, soon enough we'll be beyond this, but uh, the COVID impact of the draft. What it's led to is that players are at like very different developmental stages of their college career uh, because every player was granted an extra year of eligibility uh, in 2020 because of the COVID impacted season. You've got guys that have been around college longer than normal first round prospects. And then you've got that blended in with players who are first year eligible, whether it's an example is Broderick Jones, the offensive tackle from Georgia. Um, but as far as like the athletic outliers go, I don't know, Brad, if I have a real reason for that, other than just like, you know, 30 years from now, some of the testing scores that we are lauding as tremendous are going to be like old news, right? There's going to be a quarterback who is the same size as Anthony Richardson, who runs a 4-2-4, not a 4-4-4, a 40, right? Like some of that just like evolution um, taking over. I mean, you just, sports science is better and, you know, training methodology is better. I don't have a real reason for that, but I don't have a good uh, summary as to why players, why there are so many more outlier players this year, maybe as compared to recent drafts. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, that all, that all makes sense. Like you said, having, pushing everyone that extra year, not be, you know, having for some people having almost that year off and not being able to do anything in that, in that COVID year, like you said, stunted some growth potentially or pushed everything out. Um, Last couple before I let you get out of here because it's okay. obviously a Masters Day and we don't want to keep you keep you too long. Yeah, be fun. But um, out of all the prospects that you've looked into, who do you think if he lands in the right spot, like we were talking about with Brock Purdy, etc., who is the guy that you think out of every prospect could actually end up being the guy from this draft that we went clearly was the best player, regardless of. Once his career is done, you go, yep, he was the standout from the draft. Um, you know, it's hard. So 
I think when you ask a question like that, sometimes people expect you to dive deep and think of a name that not everybody is talking about. When the reality, I think, is that when you're talking about a player who's clearly the best in the draft, it's usually one of the players that's being very well regarded. And so, like, honestly, it probably is Jalen Carter from Georgia because the raw skills are such that he is the most talented player at his very best in this year's draft class. Now there are questions. Are you getting him at his very best? Are you getting him at his very best often enough to make a real impact? But the dominance is special. There are a few others that come to mind that I think can be tremendous, tremendous players. I do love both Christian Gonzalez and Devin Witherspoon, cornerbacks from Oregon and also Illinois, respectively. There's no need to overthink it with Will Anderson from Alabama. He is an awesome, awesome player. Jackson Smith and Jigba does so much that you like from Ohio State. He should be an excellent pro. And then obviously with the quarterbacks, um, I, I mentioned earlier that I think the case for the two highest upsides are still Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. And it may be that 10 years from now we look back and Anthony Richardson does reach that ceiling. And because of the value of quarterbacks, we all say, well, that was who should have gone first overall the entire time. And we totally overthought it. Yeah. No, that I, I thought, you know, like you said, Carter just seems like, you know, if if you get the best of Jalen Carter, like you said, it could be an absolute game wrecker and one of those guys that you could talk about in the years to come of not necessarily the Aaron Donald impact, but a guy who's maybe a tier below who could really be someone that when you think back in 20 years' time, you go, do you know who was a fun guy to watch was Jalen Carter blowing up tackles and things like that. So, sure. um, okay, so last, last question that I'll give before we get get you out of here on this Australia is obviously the international home now for like the Rams and and everyone in Australia who follows the NFL is a big fan of of, uh, Jordan Mylata and how he's from being seventh round pick to a you know top 10 tackle left tackle in the league the way he's playing is Australia a with our sports and things like that and the way um, more people are starting to get into to football, is that something that you think could be a, I guess, like a pre-season game or an in-season game where it comes to Australia and there's a little bit more involved? Because I've noticed there's more and more Australian fans who are getting into football and like into a, American football and who are getting up at two 30 in the morning on a Monday morning to try and watch their team play before they have to go to work and things like that. So is that something that you see would be potentially happening in the future? Wouldn't surprise me one bit. So let's just go through some of the mechanics here, because the question you have to ask when you're playing a game that is, do you know offhand how far it is from Los Angeles to Australia by plane? Is it like 12 hours, something like that? Uh, it's it's around – I know the only one that I know is that um, when I flew to – for my honeymoon, we went to Hawaii, and it was a nine-and-a-half-hour okay. flight from Sydney. Yeah, so it could be – yeah, so we're talking about 13, somewhere 14. between 12 and 15. Yeah, somewhere in 12 to 15 yeah. hours. Um, now, Seattle played a game in Germany this past year. I believe they had played in Atlanta the week prior, but we're talking about, you know, total trip from Seattle to Germany being somewhere in like, you know, 12, 14, 15 hour range as well. So um, there's that logistic. There's the NFL's obvious desire to grow the game more globally. And the fact that we have seen 
a handful of Australian players, right? It's not just Jordan Mailata. We've seen several punters that have made their mark in the NFL, Mitch Wisniewski amongst them. Like there is an Australian influence in the league right now. Um, And I think the question would just be, you have to, it have to be the right circumstance logistically because of the travel. Um, And you have to figure out like if, you know, given the time zone differences, like, when are you playing this game? What time are you playing this game? What day are you playing this game? But I certainly wouldn't rule out that possibility. I love it. I mean, I would love to, and I'm, I'm grateful that there is this much interest uh, in the sport that we both love so much. And I hope that uh, we see that not just on the real football level, but the fantasy football level. Um, so the more the merrier is how I'm feeling. And I think uh, with the way that we're able to consume content these days, right? It's not just television. You have to catch in live time, Right podcast streaming shows things of that nature that the influence across the world should be even greater than ever uh, for the nfl so i love to see all the advancements uh, and how much we are growing the game all across the globe well and i mean that would give you your excuse to come out to australia too you could have a have a word to have a word to your bosses and say hey guys look i'll I'll take one for the team this week i'll come over you pitched it not me yeah, just say to them, look, I'll I'll do the sideline. Look, yeah. you know, give me an extra week in Sydney or Twist my in arm. South Australia. Yeah, you know, th- yeah. do that. I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll go for that. So, um, no, I really really want to thank you for for coming on field. Um, I'll I'll let you get out so you can uh, get on with your day and do what you need to do. Um, but no, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, many many Australian fans um, were that I'm friends with are clamoring to listen to this just because they, they're, they're big fans of you and they listen to the, the fantasy football podcast all the time. And so uh, you've got a, you've got a cult following here in Australia. That is extremely cool to hear. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I appreciate everybody who checks out any of the podcasts and I appreciate you, Brad, for having me on. It's great to connect. And I appreciate you being the one that has to stay up late because we had to figure this out. One of us was staying up late or one of us was getting up early to make this happen. And you took one for the team here. So I owe you a beer when I make my trip to Australia for an NFL game. I owe you a handful uh, of beers. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to that. And then if you ever do get out to Australia, I'll come and I'll take you to an Australian rules football game. And you can see what the, you can see what uh, some of the Australian athletes have to offer. Amen. Can't wait already. No worries. We'll we'll leave it there and uh, we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to the lab. Back to the lab.